Radio Free Hillsdale on 101.7 FM. I'm Gavin Listro, and I'm joined by Reverend Dr. Michael Berg to ask him a few questions about his talk given at Hillsdale College titled Critical Theory, The Good, the Bad, the Absurd. Dr. Berg, thank you so much for joining me today. I wanted to begin by asking a question of what inspired you to give this talk and maybe what's the mission behind giving a speech on critical theory? Sure. I was asked to study this and, and talk about this in a few different places and uh, happy to be invited and honored to be invited here at Hillsdale. And um, <clears throat> I think what I'd like to, if I had a thesis, if I had a feel for what I wanted people to walk away with is everything's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, let's not, let's not get too excited here and to be charitable and say, there's some good things about this. Mm -hmm. There's some bad things about it. And then I like, there's some absurd things about yeah. it, which is what you what you find on the radio and memes and stuff like that. So maybe mm -hmm. we'll even have a little fun with that. Yeah. You mentioned reason alone can only conclude that we do not know for sure. Basically, that reason only leads you to know that you can't know. And I was wondering if you could kind of give us an example of how we go through that kind of mental loop. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so one of the questions that's always been around and I think is a core question of our culture right now is... Uh, a hermeneutic question. How can we interpret text? How do we, how do we get to truth? It's also an epistemological question. How do we get to truth? And um, for a very long time in the, what I would call the modern period, there was this idea that reason could be autonomous, that reason alone could figure everything out by itself. And <clears throat> it sounds nice. Mm -hmm. It sure sounds nice, yeah. but uh, there are things where you can be very reasonable and still be wrong or, um, your mind can play tricks on you and can reasonably come to conclusions and you turn out that not only you are you wrong, but it could take a, a misstep towards something that's that could be disastrous for you and your family and your society. And the big question that people are always asking is, how do I know? How do I know specifically that the things going in my brain actually are going to correspond to things outside myself? Mm. And I think that unless you have an absolute grounding outside of yourself, you're going to have problems. And and to to think about it through the through the lens of words and the word. Mm -hmm. So I'm using words and we can understand each other. Now we're not so arrogant to think that there cannot be miscommunication and you have different definitions and you come with different baggage as as I do. But at the same time, here we are discussing things. And mm -hmm. so why is that? Well, one option is to say that there is the word, mm. and here is a connection to Jesus Christ, who is the word. And so in our culture right now, people are attacking the meanings of words and have been for, for decades now. And uh, and people will say, we need to get away from a logocentric view of truth. And um, when they say that, they definitely are saying that we get away from a Christocentric mm. idea, right? And so scriptures will tell us that Jesus is the word, all things, um, you know, come together in him. He is the alpha and the omega. I would argue everything else in between as well. Mm -hmm. So reason alone needs to have a reference point outside of it. And if we look through the lens of words or to describe this through words, our words are backed up by the word, the eternal logos, the creator, through whom all things were created. Yeah. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So you also mentioned Jacques Deirdre. I think I said that Derrida, right. Derrida. Derrida. Yeah, okay. Yeah. He makes the claim basically that we can't know truth. And along with that, he also says that words 
don't line up universally person to person. And I was wondering, does that go against the idea of logos and Christian sensibilities that, you know, we believe that the God is word? Absolutely. And I think when he was trying to get away from a logocentrism, um, he knew that St. John in the first chapter of his gospel called Jesus the logos, yeah. right? And so definitely there, uh, that's, that's definitely there in his thought pattern. And well, what re the big question is what replaces that? If we can't get to truth in a reliable manner, we cannot talk about truth and falsity, nor can we really talk about um, right and wrong. And um, <clears throat> and so what replaces that? Well, what what has been around for a very long time is power. And so you have oppressor and victim, and that replaces right and wrong and truth and falsity, who is being oppressed and who is the oppressor. And um, the op the oppressed is right, so-called, and the oppressor is wrong. And you can totally understand this, that mm -hmm. words have been used by for, for uh, reasons of raw power since the beginning of time. We sympathize with that. But if you don't have a basis for your truth and your morality this eternal logos, then it's just, the, your only solution is that the victim then becomes the oppressed presser and the oppressor becomes the oppressed, mm. right? Yeah. And then you just have a cycle over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to Radio Free Hillsdale 101.7 FM. I'm Gavin Leistro, joined by Reverend Dr. Michael Berg. We're talking about his talk given at Hillsdale College titled Critical Theory, The Good, The Bad, The Absurd. And I, I think you just touched on this a little bit, but what happens, I guess, is there a vacuum if you take the logo, if you take the basically the author of those words out of the picture, is what, what takes its place or does do we just have this kind of emptiness? Yeah. Uh, you know, you're groping around in the dark for, I would say, truth, mm -hmm. for morality, and, and this is kind of, is a big topic in our culture today, identity, right? And so you can go the nihilism, you'd kind of just give up, there's nothing. Yeah. You can do the relativism, which is, um, well, I got my opinion and you have your opinion. And then we just, you know, go, go our, our ways. Um, or what I think what, what really happens here is uh, it's might makes right. And, mm. and so it's, it's the power, whoever yeah. has the power. And, uh, you know, I like to think about it when you think about, especially when it comes to morality and identity, you can look for those things in three different places. Uh, one is your society. Mm -hmm. um, this is wrong because uh, a group of people can be wrong about another group of people. Uh, it's hard to believe, but this is the history of the world, yes? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then the solution that I think a lot of people try to to make their 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 ideal is okay. If society, I don't, I'm not going to look to society for my identity, my value, my morality. I look inside of myself. Well, the problem with that is twofold. One is I still have the problem of what if I think that you're not as valuable as I am and I have a bigger gun than you. Yeah. The other thing is, and I don't pe think people really realize this is you and I are going to have some dark nights and you can question your value especially in a broken and, and we would say from a Christian point of view, a sinful world. Mm -hmm. And uh, to have that objective outside of you, in Latin, it's extra nos, outside of you, mm -hmm. that says this is right and wrong, this is truth and this is falsity, and that you're valuable because you're created in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of God. Um, and 
that absolute thing outside of you is true, even if you say that it's not, mm. right? Which is so powerful, yeah. right? Even if your society says you're not. So we live in a, uh, to, to, to talk about it in the Western world, especially America, we live in a world that's living off the borrowed capital of Western civilization and the Judeo-Christian worldview and, and totally saying that there's flaws in Western civilization. Yeah. Right? T- of course. We're it's not, human. <laughs> we're not saying this is perfect, right? Um, but <clears throat> when someone goes around saying, I have value, um, you don't just get to say that. You have to you have to be able to defend that. Mm, it's be rooted in something. Yeah, it's got to be rooted in something. And if it's just rooted in your opinion or your society's opinion, we voted to decide this, um, that falls apart pretty easily. And so in a similar way that I have to find an eternal logos for truth and for morality, I also have to find it for value for myself yeah, in, in a society. Yeah. The, the bulk of your talk, I noticed, is talking about critical theory and kind of its role in yeah. today's conversation. Could you briefly just summarize what critical theory is in the sure. context you're talking about? And, and critical theory is an overarching term mm. that would describe a move away from what they would call traditional theories, plural. But really, it's a move from what we would we would rightfully call it a liberal theory. So liberal think free, right? Mm-hmm. So free religion, free speech, free markets, to to whatever extent it, it gets played out in different times and places, America, France, you know, Brazil, all these kind of different things. But the idea of a liberal democracy, that kind of idea. And critical theory would say this not only um, has been uh, not sufficient enough to free people, it has, in certain circumstances, actually produced structures that are keeping people down. Mm. So critical theory is then moving away from the traditional liberal theory of Western civilization in, in a broad sense. What came out of it then would be like literary theories, like queer theory, and mm-hmm. then a very obscure, uh, until today, today is uh, critical race theory, which is actually a, a pretty obscure legal theory. So now we kind of mentioned, you mentioned before that this is not just to throw out the baby with the Mm bathwater. These can be useful tools, especially literary in a literary way. Like I am going to critique certain texts and look for structures, powers. I mean, this is, this is what you do in English class on a higher level. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. Um, The, the, the critical race theory, which is a legal theory, uh, is a little bit more about action. So they would say the liberal imagination is poor. And so you have these things about, uh, you know, everybody's created equal and all this stuff. And they say, that's cute. But in reality, um, people are still being oppressed, which we would say, of course, right? Yeah. But their solution is to say, you have to throw out these these structures and you have to be active in a legal manner to to get things to the point where it's actually, there's actual equity, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so uh, maybe the difference between like uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. in his letter from a Birmingham jail, calling out the clergy of the South and saying, you're not living up to your ideals, as opposed to maybe a more uh, black power movement, which said, uh, if you're going to wait for all the white people to be nice to you, <laughs> 
Yeah. You're going to be waiting a long time. You need to take power into your own hands. It's not about right and wrong. It's about power. Right. And gotcha. you can, you can, you can see that they have a point, yeah. right? They have a point, but I think my criticism would be when you throw out those so-called structures, what do you replace it with? Mm. And if it's just power, you haven't solved the problem. You just made it worse. So, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mentioned Marxism earlier, but you said that Marxism asks a good question. Yeah. What is the correct answer? If we kind of agree, <laughs> you know, that Marxism sure. isn't great. Yeah. And the, the point I was trying to make was that a lot of these things that we might disagree uh, with from a Western civilization point of view, a liberal mm -hmm. a democratic point of view, or a Christian point of view, wherever you're coming from, that the diagnostic tool is still there. And so they may ask the right question. They just may come up with the wrong answer. So I, I think one thing that Karl Marx would say that we would agree with is if you see everybody as like a consumer and or a producer, now this is, this is, I'm not, I'm not doing right by Karl Marx, but you get the idea here. Uh, that's a problem that says something about that's an anthropological question that mm -hmm. that's very important for uh, uh, all of us to ask and say, maybe capitalism hasn't always been super great to everybody. We can admit that. Mm. So what is the, what is the solution? Well, I, I think that that's a very, that's a very big question, right? I think one thing is to, to see people as embodied souls and not just through the lens of production and consumerism which I think Karl Marx asked the right question about that, but doesn't really get to the right answer. And I would argue part of it is because I, I think that he, he lacks the idea of seeing people created in the image of God. Mm. That, don't quote me on that. You know, I'm not, yeah. an, I'm not an expert on Marx. So you're listening to radio free Hillsdale on 101.7 FM. I'm Gavin Leistro with Reverend Dr. Michael Berg talking about his talk, critical theory, the good, the bad, the absurd. You kind of give the ideas of of critical theory, and one of them is that privilege and oppression are permanent. Um, and you mentioned something that I'd never really thought of before. That, that and in a Christian response to this, isn't necessarily a that it's a bad thing that we are are privileged people, and that our reaction shouldn't necessarily be one of shame for being privileged. And I would love if you kind of expounded yeah, on that. Yeah. So uh, th that's a tricky one. You know, is is privilege a you know or even other things, are they permanent mm. and, and it part of the structure? Um, you know, at first glance, you say, I could see where you're coming from, right? Um, and I give the example, whenever you are on the phone frustrated with the cell phone company, you, you say to yourself, the system's broken, mm. <laughs> right? Um, but at the same time, it's a category mistake because a system is, is not is not a moral being mm -hmm. where we can say it's, it's right or wrong. Right. So, and then to your point about privilege, um, yeah, I'm privileged. Um, I thank God every day that I'm privileged and I, and I realize that it's not just blessing, but that I have more blessings, um, than other people. Now a caveat right here is to say through my limited perspective, right? Um, <clears throat> so I could, I could definitely see God privileging people in, in ways that are not so obvious. The size of their house, mm. the car they drive, their athletic ability, all of these things that are, are often very superficial. So I should never feel guilty about the blessings that God has given me. I should, however, don't, I should not wake up one day and pretend like all of this was my doing and I earned every bit, mm. right? 
Um, <clears throat> I, I think that's the height of arrogance, right? And if we are going to say, bring up your children in the fear of the Lord, and, and if, you, if you don't give them a good education, if you don't give them a good moral grounding, if you don't form them in the right way, um, there's going to be ramifications not just for their lives, but probably for the lives of their children and, and through the generations. I can't flip that around and, and say to somebody who is not as, has been blessed as me, and to say, just pull, you up, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. I don't think that's fair. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it appreciates the gifts that, that we have been given. So I, I do acknowledge that, okay, my parents were able to own a home. Um, they actually lived in a parsonage. They were, they were pastors, but, but yeah. you get what I'm saying. <laughs> um, they were able to own a home. They were able to give me a good education. It was a stable home. And that, that put me at an, a great advantage Mm. over somebody who no fault of their own lived in a broken family uh were able were had to move a lot from from um you know place to place and some of that is because of redlining some of that is because of uh malpractice when it came i admit that mm. at the same time i'm still responsible for my actions right and so i think the point is as we're christians and looking at these cultural debates is first of all, somebody needs to be the, the adult in the room mm-hmm. yeah, and don't pick necessarily pick sides. There, there's always nuance, right? The, the world is in gray scale. It's, not, it's very rarely a black and white thing. And so to be sympathetic, but also to appreciate and yet not feel guilty about the blessings that God has given me makes me generous, makes me compassionate, makes me all of those things are the gifts of the spirit that mm-hmm. we read about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, that plays to the, your, your, your comment about how there's truth in isms and ologies, yeah. but not necessarily, I mean, they're human constructs, yeah. they're human ideas. Yeah. yeah, every ism and ology, usually you could think of some that maybe don't, but every ism and ology has a kernel of truth to it and has some diagnostic, has a diagnostic tool that is being used and we shouldn't ignore that. And every ism and ology, because it comes from man, is going to be deeply flawed, yes. right? And so it's not about picking sides, but about being compassionate and nuanced. In one moment in, in your conversation, you call the discussion of uh, critical theory potentially passe mm-hmm. or, you know, don't feed the beast, I think is the word yeah. you used. Um, and I think that's a great point. I just wonder, as Christians, how do we navigate this conversation without necessarily promoting the, the noise, you know, or adding oh, to it? Such a great question. Yeah. Uh, and, and when I said that, I've said this in other contexts, that critical theory is a little passe. And what I meant was in academic settings, it's... People go, eh, mm. you know, eh. Now that doesn't mean the ramifications that come down to our society are are not are not with with us, and we have to deal with them, and that that they're going to do some damage and probably some good too. The, those ramifications are still there, but sometimes the church um, ends up being thirty years behind the curve, you know, mm. yeah, and 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 cha- making a big deal about something that maybe um, shouldn't be made as that big a deal of. That's a dumb way to say it, but you know what I mean? Sure. But to your point of how do we deal with this, I think lesson number one is don't use the language as fun as it may be, cancel culture, wokeism, all that kind of stuff. And, and a lot of it as, as a person who, who likes language is actually, these, these are nice turn of phrase, you know, mm-hmm. these are actually, and they're quite meaningful in a very, in a very real way. They are co-opted by the media and they get used on social media to the point where ugh, they're just, they're, they're almost meaningless. They're so mm-hmm. you, 
ubiquitous for a while. They're everywhere. But the other, the other thing is when you step out of the biblical language, there's always a little bit of a danger because now you're using the language of the secular world, which can be necessary and actually can be quite useful, but now you're on their, their turf. And I don't mean like their turf, those people over there. I mean, not only the people who are advancing maybe critical theory, but also the critics of critical theory from a different point of view, you are using their language and you give up something when you don't use the biblical language. And so privilege, yes, but can I nuance that with the word blessing? Mm, yeah. Um, and I don't want to be, I got to be careful there because I don't want to be too uh, dismissive of somebody who says, you have more privilege than me. And I say, no, I'm just blessed. That's not helpful. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying, that this is comes from God. Um you know, other examples uh, you could think of um, uh, being in, enlightened, at woke and stuff like that. Um, can I use different words there? Um, can I start using the word image of God? Mm. Can I start using the word um, everybody's seeking righteousness and trying to be seeking value? Can I put those into biblical concepts? And then I think I can bring in nuance and I can minister to people in a different way. Mm. And so... Uh, from a Christian point of view, one easy step is catch yourself using those catchphrases and say, can I use terms that are more nuanced and can I get to a biblical concept with those, with those words? Dr. Berg, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you coming in. Oh, that was a great privilege to be here. Thank you very much. I'm Gavin Listro, and you've been listening to Radio Free Hillsdale on 101.7 FM. 